0: God, I'm not going to use the uh, head mic tonight. I get excited about the resurrection of, of Christ in thinking about what we're going to celebrate next Sunday. As I mentioned, I look at it as my spiritual independence day. Uh, but there is no resurrection without the cross. You had to go through the cross first. And uh, I pray throughout this week you'll take some time. We're going to be doing this in our family devotions at our house that you spend some time reading about the cross and that way all the way to that empty tomb. Yes, we will celebrate that. Uh, But there was a lot that took place before then to secure our liberty. I love the part of that song. It says, where the burden of my heart rolled away, a burden we could not carry, and yet we were able to leave it there at the cross because of Christ. Thank God for that. Thank you, ladies. I don't think I've ever heard that before. That was great. Thank you very much. All right, I want you to do me a favor tonight. Take your Bibles out and open up at the very beginning. I want you to go to the table of contents. All right? Table of contents. We believe it's all inspired, right? Even the table of contents. Don't come up to me after the church and ask me that. Table of contents. I want you to look in the Old Testament. Old Testament, find the book of Nahum. Look what number it's on and let's go there together. All right? I did that for you so you didn't get embarrassed when you couldn't find it, okay? The book of Nahum, good to see you back tonight. Hope you had a good afternoon. And uh, always look forward to being here on Sunday night. It goes so fast. Sunday afternoons do, uh, but I'm always glad to be here one more time to get what we're going to need uh, for the rest of the week. Nahum chapter, uh, chapter number one. Remain seated, if you don't mind. This is we're going to read a little bit tonight to get some context. Uh, not a book that I've preached a lot out of. Matter of fact, I told the native a moment ago. I can't remember the last time that I preached out of the book of Nahum. Um, But there's a wonderful message here. I want to encourage you tonight. I really do. Uh, Sometimes I think we get a dim view of preachers and pastors and wonder when they get up to preach, you know, you sound like you're being mean, hollering and and whatnot. But truthfully, uh, we are here to exhort uh, and also to encourage. And uh, sometimes it may not sound like encouragement, but it is. And tonight I do want to encourage you a little bit, uh, strengthen you a little bit, uh, particularly in the hour that we're living uh, in the world. Nahum chapter 1, I'm going to pick up in verse 1. Follow along with me. I want to show you something the Lord showed me. The Bible says, The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkeshite, if we have that right. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind, and in the storm, and in the clouds and the, are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea, and maketh it dry, and dryeth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth, and Carmel, and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Our key verse will be verse 7 tonight. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. But with an overturning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof. And darkness shall pursue his enemies. What do ye imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end affliction. Utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time we'll stop there and pray father thank you tonight for your word and we thank you lord for how you show us something fresh and encouraging lord for the day and age we live and i pray tonight that lord the message would be an encouragement how it was an encouragement to me and i pray that you'd help us present that in a way that's pleasing to you be with our church tonight our people be with those who can't be here tonight lord for different reasons some are sick and uh, bad health some bearing burdens tonight lord you know where they're at and i pray you'd help them with the needs they have I pray most importantly tonight that lost would be saved, and Lord, help us tonight, Uh, Lord, just to do your will during the invitation time, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at the book of Nahum, obviously we look in verse 1, we know it has something to do with Nineveh. Now, I'm going to give you my opinion. The book of Nahum is kind of like uh, Jonah part number 2, just about 100 years later, and although Nineveh repented, uh, as you and I are, they had gone back into idolatry and wickedness. Let that be a reminder to us of the age old saying that faith is only one generation thick. Oftentimes we think because we have great faith or we come from a great lineage of faith that that's something like a family heirloom, like a piece of jewelry or a piece of furniture that we can continually pass down through the ranks. Now, it would be wonderful if that was the case, wouldn't it? That we could just give our children their faith and they would have the exact same faith we do, but that's not always the case and truly our faith is one generation thick. What's amazing is as we read all of this, and I wanted you to get the context of it tonight, verse 1 through about verse number 6, it's quite catastrophic, is it not? You read about all of these words in here. Look down, God is jealous and the Lord revenges. You think, revenge, well, that's a horrible thing. Verse 2 uses the word wrath. We keep reading down about him not acquitting the wicked and then the way of the whirlwind and the storm. Verse 4 talks about rebuke and they are languishing. Verse 5 talks about the mountains quaking and the hills melting and burned in his presence. I mean, this is an apocalyptic scene, is it not? Quite frightening as we read about the judgment that God is bringing their way, quite gloomy. And yet in the midst of this, You read verse 1 through verse number 6, it's just doom and gloom. You read verse number 8 on to the rest of the chapter, and it's still doom and gloom. And it's almost like there's one verse in that passage of Scripture that's not supposed to be there. Do you ever play those games when you're kids? You hit the two pictures, you put them side by side, and you find the one that's different. At least I did when I was a kid. And you read this, this whole chapter and the whole chapter is pretty consistent uh, as far as this theme of God's judgment and wrath. And yet, right there, literally in the middle of chapter number one, we have verse number seven. The Lord is good. So it's like someone changed the channel. A stronghold in the day of trouble, he knoweth them that trusteth in him. And then they turn the channel back, and we go right back to wrath and destruction. As you begin to read this, you realize that just in any culture, we read through, all throughout Scripture, Even in times of judgment, God always had remnants there. God had people who had not bowed the knee per se. God's always had a remnant of people who have been faithful uh, to his calling and to his will and to his word. And yet in the midst of all of this destruction that he is condemning Nineveh with, he gives us this one verse here. And I believe that verse goes out to the remnant that are there. The Lord is good and stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. We go throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, Nehemiah, we find that even amidst that destruction and that judgment, God had a remnant, didn't he? God had a group of people who had remained faithful, and God would use those group of people to help revive the walls that were there. First Kings chapter 19, Elijah, when he thought he was all alone, what did God say? God says, I have a remnant, 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. God always has that remnant. It's kind of like seed corn. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not a very good gardener, okay? I don't have the time to be a gardener. I would love to. I really would. I have all these ambitions of things I'd like to grow to save money, and if things keep going the way they are, I may have to grow, you know? We may all have to grow our own food. Uh, Leslie and I tried that early when we got married. We were just going to have all of these wonderful preserves and stuff on the wall, and we realized the one ingredient you have to have is time, and that's something we don't have a lot of. But you have corn that you grow throughout the year, And back in the olden days, I know none of you here tonight are old enough to remember that, but back in the olden days, you would save some corn back, wouldn't you? Or wouldn't they, right? Wouldn't they? And you'd keep some back and you'd dry that out. And what was that for? You kept a little portion of that back because you're going to use it the next crop that you go to plant. That's how they did the seed corn back then. That's how a remnant is in scripture. God would always keep some people back. God always had someone or a group of someones that he could use to produce the next crop of faith for the coming generation. So what I want you to see is in the midst of all of this condemnation, God brings a single yet very sufficient verse to them. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Now, I want you to think about our country. I think all of us would probably agree we're at the very least in the early stages of God's judgment on this country. I don't know how you can look at it any other way. We're in the very early stages of God's judgment on our country. And we're kind of verse 1 through verse number 6. Look, it's hard to keep an upbeat attitude when you feel like your country is going down the tubes, isn't it? I mean, how do you have a smile on your face? Hey, our country is going to be destroyed. Our country is being sailed down the river. Our country's being sold out for a few politicians of personal gain. All of these things are happening. How do you wake up and have a good attitude? Well, I believe that's what verse number seven is doing. God has a verse for us. There's something he wants to know. And tonight, I want to give you a little reassurance for the remnant. Okay, A little reassurance for the remnant. And verse number 7 is going to give you some reassurance to do the will of God even in the midst of the judgment of God. So let's look at verse 7 specifically tonight. There's three important th- things in verse 7. I wouldn't preach it if they weren't three. Okay, It had to be three, and they're right there in verse number 7. Okay, The Bible says, watch closely in verse 7, The Lord is good. The Lord is good. So you have all of these verses talking about the calamity, the mountains falling, the hills that are melting, the wrath of God, people languishing, and in the midst of all of this, he gives a stabilizer verse, if you will, and he begins that stabilizer with a reminder that should bring them certainty and help bring us certainty. What is that? Number one, the first reassurance is a reminder of who God is, okay, okay? It's a reminder of who God is. What does verse 7 say? The Lord is good. Do you know what's very easy and very natural right now? What's very easy and very natural is for us to focus on what is not. What we've lost and what we don't have anymore. Things aren't the way they used to be. Gas prices aren't what they were Grocery stores don't have what they used to have. And we start focusing on what we don't have and what is not. By the way, that's something we all have innate inside of us. We're all naturally focusing on things we don't have. When was the last time you went with your child to Walmart and you asked the kid, if you ask your kid this, do you need anything? And they look up at you and say, no, mom, I have all the toys that I need. (laughs) You're laughing because it's so ridiculous. I have everything. Matter of fact, I have too many toys, Mom. And, and I, I have too many too much junk food at the house. I, I don't need anything at all. When was the last time you did that? No, you asked your kid, do you need anything? Yes. And they dragged you over to the toy aisle. Why? Because we always focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have. By the way, that's not something you grow out of when you turn 18. The toys are just bigger, Right? <laughs> The toy toy aisle just gets a lot bigger. It becomes car dealerships, you know. It gets a whole lot bigger and a whole lot more expensive. Now, here's what I want you to see tonight. That's inside of us. It's natural to focus on what we do not have. By the way, that's what got Eve. Eve didn't focus on what she did have. She focused on what she didn't have. By the way, that's what got Samson. That's what got David with Bathsheba. Here's David, a man after God's own heart. He has a claim He has, uh, I mean, he has songs written about him, and yet what brought David down? His desire for what he didn't have. You see, that's the natural focus of us to focus on what we do not have. That's what got the prodigal son. And that's just natural. It's natural for us to look around tonight and look at the world and say, let me tell you all of what's wrong. Instead, God says, I want to remind you. In the midst of judgment, calamity, and languishing, I want you to remember that I still am who I always was. The Lord is good. And everything else that isn't is overshadowed by the fact that the Lord still is. Didn't Brother Tyler sing about that the other night? The great I am, what? Still is? How depressing would it be if the great I am still might be? Not, number one, it would be a bad song. But number two, it'd be very depressing. The great I am still might be, no, he is. So watch what he says. The Lord is good. From time to time, the Lord needs to remind all of us exactly what we have and the fact that that overshadows what we don't have and what we're missing. Give an example. I didn't know I was rich until I went to Mexico as a nine-year-old kid. All right, now, as far as I know, we, we, we had all had food on the table. We always had nice clothes, and we probably had above-average things growing up. But I didn't realize how rich I was until I went to Mexico. So what do you mean by that? Well, when we were down there, I found out that their toilets didn't flush. You say, well, they stopped up? No, there were not toilets. They were just holes cut in a piece of plywood in a little wooden shack out there in the middle of the desert. And Febreze wouldn't cut it. I'll just be honest with you in the middle of the desert sun. Not only did they not have hot water, they didn't have running water. Matter of fact, kid uh, Juan, uh, Ardella's son, I went over to his house one day, she had the local cafe there in the town, uh, and Juan showed me where he sleeps sometime. He slept in the bed of a truck. Now I'm not talking about like in the back of a truck, Uh, the front of the the cab was not there, it was just the bed of a truck. His bed, sure enough, was a bed, it was the bed of a truck. And when I came home to realize I had running water, flushing toilets, hey, they didn't even have walls for their houses. A lot of them literally had sticks stood side by side by side. You could see right through the walls of their house. And, yes, that means anything could crawl right through the walls of their house. When I came home, I started looking around and realized I have a bed inside a safe house. I have running water, and it's hot. As long as I didn't get a shower after my sister had been in there, the water was still hot. Running water, hot water, flushing toilets, and I even had walls. Thank God for walls. I didn't realize how rich I was until I turned my focus to what I had. I may mean, I've had all the brand new video games that every other kid had. Probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I didn't have all of that. But man, can I tell you what I have far overshadowed what I didn't have. You see, the reason we're down and out in doom and gloom is because we're focusing on what we don't have. When the fact is, the Lord is good. He is still good. Verse 1 through 5, it shows us the world being turned upside down. Verse number 6, watch what happens. Here come the questions. Who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? Question mark. Isn't that what happens when our world gets turned upside down? The first thing we start doing is asking questions, but thanks be to God, he had an answer before we ever add the questions. What was the answer? The Lord is good. Here's what I love. In chapter one, there's 14 verses of calamity, and yet there's one verse of comfort, and it's enough. It's enough. Why? Because it reminds us of who God is. The Lord is good. Now, here's what's amazing about this we're not talking about the Lord is good sometimes. Now, hear me out. Do you know that our goodness is often circumstantial? I've asked some of you before, asked some of your kids before in front of you, hey, you've been being good? And I've heard this more times than I can recall. When they're asleep. Have they been being good? Yeah, when they're asleep. I mean, I can pass that test. I'm usually a pretty good guy when I'm asleep, too, unless I'm snoring. You see, it's a circumstantial goodness. But God's goodness is inseparable from his character. The Lord is good. That's who he is. Now, why should that encourage you? Well, that should encourage you because the Bible says in Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I change not. That means when times are bad, the Lord is still good, all right? When gas prices are high, the Lord is good. When you have question marks in your heart, it doesn't matter. The Lord is good. God's goodness is not uh, not bared upon by our circumstances being good. God is always good. That's just who he is. And he's never going to change. Therefore, in the midst of my calamity, confusion, and chaos... I can still have a good day because the Lord is good. Let me ask you something tonight. Imagine if our goodness and the goodness of our day was a direct reflection on the goodness of God. I'll give you an example. Uh, my wife was in, in bus chapel this morning and uh, wasn't here, and, and uh, I told Miss Laura, I said, my wife is kind of like my sounding board. I'll always get in the car. Did that make sense? Do you know why I asked her that? Because sometimes you're looking at me like it's not making sense, okay? You know, especially when you're asleep. That's when I'm really worried it's not making sense, okay? Not only were they asleep, they were drooling and they were snoring, okay? That just bothers me. Man, I must not have gotten the point across. Leslie wasn't in here this morning. So I'm driving home thinking, man, didn't hear a whole lot of amens. Hmm, must not have went good. Well, probably going to show up tonight and be a lot of empty chairs. Hmm, definitely must not have been good. Go home tonight, somebody say, how was your day? Wasn't good. Now watch this, that's a circumstantial good, all right? That's a goodness based on my circumstances when the goodness of my day should not be based on my circumstances. The goodness of my day should be based on the goodness of my God and he's always good so I can always have a good day. Hey folks, this is Bible. It says the Lord is good. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because times are not always going to be good. Times are not always going to be good. matter of fact, God was telling them that. He said, it's going to get bad for you folks in Nineveh. Times aren't going to always be good, but God is. God's always going to be good. Now, Psalms 27, 13, David gives us a little reminder here that I think all of us should should take note of. Psalms 27, 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, watch this. David says, I had fainted. I'd have passed out, I'd have quit, I'd have given up. What was he looking for? He says, "I'd have fainted if things hadn't got better. Nope. I'd have fainted if somebody hadn't come along and, and gave you a pat on the back. No, it's not what he said. I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord." He says, "I believed in the goodness of the Lord so much that encouraged me even when I wanted to faint. Everyone to faint? Amen. Everyone to faint? I do. You ever feel like circumstances are going to weigh you down and drag you down? Been there. But in the midst of all of that, what does it say? Verse 7, the Lord is good. Can I ask you, what brought reassurance to Moses? Moses knows he's going to go through a tough time. I mean, Pharaoh's not just going to say, oh, yes, Moses, because, you know, we kind of have a relationship here. I'm just going to give you God's people and everything's going to be good. No, Moses knew that was not going to be easy. Moses knew he was probably going to do some languishing in the midst of delivering God's people out of Egypt. What was it that kept Moses going? Well, it was a simple fact of who God is. Who do I tell them sent me? Tell them I am. I am. You see, the wonderful part about that is, you say, how does that encourage anybody? Well, it means that he is what you're not. He is what you're not. I am not able I am not strong enough. I do not, well, it doesn't matter, but God does, and God doesn't change. And so therefore, as the people of God, I can have reassurance as part of the remnant that goes through the judgment. Why? Simply because of who God is. But look at the second part. The Lord is good, comma, he's going to give us another one, a stronghold in the day of trouble. So, you know, these circumstances in verse one through about verse number six, those will make you run for cover, won't they? Somebody tell you the mountains are about to break, the hills are about to melt, there's going to be languishing, you want to run from cover, but notice what he says in verse number seven, hey, don't run like chicken little, the Lord is good, and look what else the Lord is, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He's telling them, watch, no matter how bad things get, you have a place to go. Aren't you glad? How many of you tonight have a storm shelter? Raise your hand. You have a storm shelter. I'm coming to your house. Okay, if you raise your hand, you're like, I don't, not me, not me. You don't want the preacher coming over. We had a lost child here this morning. And I said, hey, man, don't worry. If we can't find your parents, you can go home with me. He's like, uh uh-uh. uh He didn't want to go home with me. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm not letting you in my storm shelter. You, you won't fit. It's kind of like that elevator this morning. There's no room for anybody else in our storm shelter. That bad weather's been coming through. I think we have more weather coming through this week, right? It's like every Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, bad weather moves through. As long as it's not Wednesday, I'm okay with that. And, man, the weather starts coming through. The tornadoes start popping up. And we go to our safe place. Well, God says this, watch, the Lord is good, a strong hold in the day of trouble. The second reassurance to the remnant is a reminder of what God does. Number one, it's a reminder of who God is. Number two, a reminder of what God does. Now, what does he do? Well, the Bible says, these are two words, the Lord is good, a strong hold. Hold. Can I tell you what God does? This is good. Pay attention, okay? Can I tell you what God does? He holds. He holds. Now, this is important. A hold was a secure place for keeping. We uh, watch the old uh, uh, Long John Silvers and Blackbeard's Ghosts, and you, they say, put them in the hold of the ship. It was a place of safe keeping. Now, here's what God is saying. I am a strong hold. Regardless of your circumstances, watch this. This will give you reassurance even in the midst of judgment. As the remnant of God, I can have reassurance. Why? Because I'm always in God's grip. I'm always in God's grip. He's holding me. He's holding me. John ten twenty eight. the Bible says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my Hand. Now, eternal security, right? Why do you have eternal security? Because you know God's holding you, and no one can take you out of his hand, not even you. Not, look, if we could, we'd be already out of it, but he holds us. And what does it say? It says he is a strong hold. That means a secure place of safe keeping. Now, I want you to think about this, okay? Let's just be elementary in our mindset for a moment. Isaiah 66, the Bible says that heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. So if heaven's his throne and earth is his footstool, God's got some really big hands. God's got some really big hands. I don't know anybody that could take me out of God's hand. That's why we have reassurance. Why? I'm in God's hand. He said, he's going to hold me. Now, where does the reassurance come from? Well, he's the one doing the holding. He's the one doing the holding. Now, this is vitally important. If it were up to me to hold on to him, you have every reason in the world to be scared to death. If my salvation is based upon me holding on to God, then I've lost it already. But the Bible says the hope that we have, Hebrews six nineteen is an anchor for the soul. Watch this. Our hope in Christ and faith in Christ is that anchor. Do you know what an anchor does? It holds the ship. The winds are blowing. The waves are crashing. And the ship is battered. But the ship is unmoved because the ship has an anchor. And that anchor is holding it. And it's holding it strong. Now, folks, that's why I can be reassured. The mountains are melting. The hills are falling. People are languishing. It's okay. The Lord is good, and he is a stronghold. That's two words. The English reading is one word, stronghold. This is a strong adjective, hold, meaning the noun, meaning, hey, God says, I'm not just holding you half-heartedly. I'm holding you strong. I remember when Miley was born, you know, Leslie did all the work. I just was there to, for the pictures, you know. Leslie did all the work, and bless you, mother's hearts. You go through all of that trouble, and then once the baby is born, everybody forgets about you over there. I walk over, you know, they're, they're scrubbing her up. You know, like, it's like they just hold up a chicken, you know, they just, just kind of scrubbing her up, like, whoa, take it easy now. You know, that's the only one I got. I want you to break her right off the bat. And never forget, we have a picture of it somewhere. I wish I'd have brought it tonight. She just, she's literally minutes old or seconds old, and they, they put her over here on this thing, and they're getting her all cleaned up. And never forget, I, I put my hand down by her. First time I ever touched my daughter. And she reached up, and she grabs my finger with her little hands, and she squeezed the fire out of my finger. And she's holding on to it tight. And I remember as an earthly dad looking down at her, feeling such a responsibility that I've got to make sure nothing, nothing gets to her that doesn't first go through me. And I remember looking at her, and I said, I got you. I got you. She was crying. I'd be crying too. Somebody treat me the way that nurse was treating her. He's all over the place. I just put my hand down there, and she reached up and grabbed it. And I looked at her and says, I got you. I got you. I remember the responsibility I felt as an earthly dad at that moment i got to take care of this kid, and I'm going to take care of this kid. And nothing's going to come between me and this kid. I'll fight it off until my last breath, gladly die for that kid. And then I couldn't help but think about my heavenly father. He has a pure love that far out eclipses mine. And if he promises me he's going to hold me, he's got me. He's got me. When the mountains melt, people are languishing. Who can stand before the fierceness? You keep reading about the overrunning flood in verse number eight, and yet I can be reassured. Why? Because of what God does. He holds us. I believe Brother Heath sang a song recently called, He Will Hold Me Fast. He's got me. He's got me. Number two, what gives reassurance to the remnant? Well, it's a reminder of what God does. You look at verse 1 through 6, amazing truth here. You see the power of, and, and might of God in punishment. When God puts his power and might in a punishment, no one can stand. That's what verse 6 says, no one can stand. I mean, look, folks, I know we think we can from time to time that we can live out of the will of God. No, no. When God's power and might get directed in the form of punishment, get out of the way quickly. But watch this. The same power and might that we see in punishment for those, watch this, who have put their faith and trust in him, he puts that same power and might as he did in their punishment for my peace. God says that same power and might that I'm bringing against them who have opposed me, I'm going to use that same power and might to hold you. And if he'll move mountains for those who oppose him, what will he do for those who trust in him? That's why I can have reassurance. Because he's holding me, and not only is he holding me, he is a strong hold. Isaiah 41, 10 through 13. For I, the Lord, thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. I remember when that little girl took me by the hand. All of a sudden, I started swelling up. I was the biggest brother Lenny back there. I know you don't believe it, but I was. You couldn't see it, but I was. I'm like get out of my way when it comes to my kid. She's dependent on me. She's dependent on me. No matter what I had to do, where I had to go, she's holding on and I'm going to make sure she has what she needs. And one day in 30 years when I pass her off to a young man, you know, I figure by the time she's 45, she'll have it down pat My real prayer is the Lord will be back before then. That's why we set the age of 45. If he really loves her, he'll wait for her. That's what I just really believe. What did he say? He says, for I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand. He's holding on. There are times my grip has let go, and I'm thinking, I can't hold on. He says, don't worry, I'm holding on. I'm holding on to you. That's why I can have reassurance. Reassurance. So number two, we have a reminder of what God does, who God is, what God does. And let's look at the last one, verse seven. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. I love the last part here. So God reminds them who he is. God reminds them of what he can do. And then finally, he gives a reminder of what he knows. Notice what he says he knoweth them that trust in him the reason i can have reassurance as part of the remnant in the midst of judgment i can have a reassurance because of what god knows you don't have to know everything but god does now why is this important well in the chaos of judgment and calamity all these things verse 1 through verse number 6 you might get fearful and think god's lost track of you do you ever feel that way can we just be honest tonight we think that about God because that's the way we are. Things get crazy, chaotic, we forget. The other day, Leslie came in my office and she says, you got Miley's lunch, right? This little kid that I'll do anything in the world for, I forgot to feed her. The big stuff, I'm gonna make sure I don't forget, okay? I said, no, so I, I did what I usually do when I forget her lunch. I run down the subway, I have a very nice lady down there and she makes Miley a grilled cheese on the six-inch flatbread. I come in, she knows what I want. Take her six-inch flatbread, fill it up with cheese, put it in the microwave, make it a grilled cheese. Boom, she's done. Leslie said, you didn't remember? I said, I said, I got busy. People came in. I had phone calls and all of this. And in the midst of the chaos, I forgot my child's lunch. All right? Now, look, don't look at me that way. Some of you forgot your child. <laughs> all right? You forgot your child at church. All right? I just forgot her lunch. And I just figured every once in a while she needs to fast. That's spiritual and all that. Okay? The Bible says, I want you to know in the midst of judgment and chaos, when people are languishing, the mountains are falling, the hills are melting, don't worry. I know where you're at. I know where you're at. I want to ask you a question. I don't don't want to sound touchy-feely here. Do you ever feel like you're at a place that no one else knows where you're at? I'll be honest with you, I've been there. You get to a place... Maybe it's a dark place, a lonely place, scary place, doubtful place. On the outside, you got it all together. You look good. You dress right. I mean, you're smiling. But in here, you're at place nobody else knows where you're at. I'll give you an example. The other night, I guess it was about 2 a.m., just, boy, I was burdened about a few things. Burdened down. Went to bed, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12, 1, 2, just rolling from bed. Just walk praying, roll over and pray, try to go to sleep, wake up, just burden, burden, burden. I know we've all been there. Can't sleep, you're so burdened about something, burdened about people. And I remember praying the last time, I said, Lord, all right, I don't, I don't know the answer here, but I just need to know that you know the answer here. I said, God, I'm just burdened about this. Burdened about this. Finally, I went to sleep. I don't know what time it was, but went to sleep. Next morning, I, I get a text on my phone. No joke. I showed it to my wife. It's from one of our members. I'll not call their name. And they said, I just want you to know you're on my heart and I prayed for you today. I said, Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I said, very burdened about some things. And I appreciate knowing people are praying. Here's what they said in the text. I've got it saved on my phone. I was burdened about you at 2 a.m. this morning, but I was worried you'd be mad at me if I texted you at 2 a.m., so I didn't text you. I told my wife all I could do was look up. He knew where I was. He said, I want you to know, I know where you're at. You ever feel like you're at a place where nobody knows where you're at? Nobody knows what you're dealing with in your heart. Nobody knows the burdens you're carrying, the questions you don't have answers to. You're scared to death and nobody knows it. What does it say? Look down at verse seven. He knoweth. He knoweth. He knows where you're at. In the midst of all of this judgment and calamity and chaos and crisis, all of this is going on, you're thinking, surely God's forgotten about me. God says, know where you're at. And just like a simple text message that I got the other day, it was almost as if God himself says, hey, I know where you're at. I know where you're at. Think about this tonight. God knew where Daniel was when he was all alone. They said, well, I'm not alone. No, no, no. You may not be alone in this room, but you may be alone in here. You think about this tonight. God knew where David was when his problems were bigger than he was. God knew where he was at. And God gave him what he needed when he needed it. Brother Nate came to my office just a little while ago. I asked him if I could say this, and he said, yeah. Brother Nate came to my office and had this flustered look on his face, as often we do in ministry, right? And I said, what's going on? And he just kind of exhaled a little bit. I thought, oh, this is a doozy. I was like, close the door. You close the door when it's doozies, you know. You don't want nobody else to hear. He said, I just got a text from my, my mom and my dad and the text from dad says, we're, we're flying into Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio. He says, the plane just lost an engine. And then his dad, why you parents do this, I don't know, began telling him how to handle the inheritance. No joke, he's got the text to prove it. His mom was sick, scared, lost an engine, they come, the stewardess comes out of the plane, comes down the aisle, and his dad was on the exit row and begins telling his dad what he's going to have to do when the plane crashes. They landed, by the way, okay? I'm going to take the stress off. Some of you were just on the edge of your seat. Here they are, 35, 40,000 feet in the air, lost an engine, frightening. I'll be honest with you. Look, I'm not keeping it in at that point. All right, I'll keep it in, not to be embarrassed in front of some of you people, but we're 35,000 feet, we're all chickens together. (laughs) I don't care what you think of me. I mean, you're only gonna think that about me for about, what, five more minutes? (laughs) God knew where they were at. 35,000 feet, lost an engine. God knew where they were at. In the midst of the chaos, as captains and pilots try to get that plane on the ground, in the midst of all of that, God knew where they were at. They can have reassurance. We can have reassurance. Why? Because of what God knows. Say, do you know if we're going to get on the ground? I I don't know. One way or the other, we're going to get on the ground. We nailed that down. God knows. God knows. Now, why is this important? Well, this is important tonight because God wants his people to be reassured. There may be 14 verses of chaos, crisis, and calamity, but that one verse is all you need to get through it. That you remember who God is, you remember what God does, and then you remember what God knows, what got Job through his trouble. Job says, listen close, look at my left hand, can't find it, look at my right hand, can't find him, look before him. I don't know where he's leading me, paraphrase Jeremiah, Andrew's version. What did he say? But he knoweth the way that I take. Job had peace in the midst of a crisis unlike any of us will ever go through. Where did the peace come from? It came from the fact of knowing that God knew. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what I, where we're headed, but God does. And when He hath tried me, watch this. I shall come forth as gold. Job says, "God knows where I'm at." Second Timothy two nineteen. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal: the Lord knoweth them that are His. Now, by the way, this trick I'm giving you tonight only works if you're his. All right? If you don't know you're his, yeah, be scared. Be scared. But we don't have to be. Why? Because the Lord knows those that are his. I'll give you this, and we're going to close. Joshua chapter 2, I love the story of Rahab. I really do. Beautiful picture of redemption, isn't it? The spies come in. And Rahab, you know, they, they work out this deal with Rahab. She's going to help them. Here's what she said in, in Joshua chapter 2, verse 12. Now, therefore, I pray you swear unto me by the Lord. It says, I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. You know what she's saying? In the midst of the trouble that's coming, when you guys get ready to destroy our city, don't forget me. Don't forget me. You know, I'm being honest with you. If I was Rahab, I probably would have doubted. These are the enemy, you know. They don't have to, they don't owe me nothing. When the war starts, they're gonna forget. But boy, well, here's a beautiful picture in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. And Joshua saved Rahab, the harlot, alive in her father's house, and all that she had, and she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. You know what that means? God remembered. God remembered. Hear me out. God knows where you're at. God's not going to forget those that are His. And you may be going through turmoil, calamity, burden, grief. Look, we're living in an ever changing world, everything changes. I mean, our economics are changing, our morals are changing. In the midst of change, it's easy to get unsettled. Do you know what? Even when we have changes in our staff, that's tough, isn't it? Can we be honest? We're the Sunday night crowd. Can we be honest together? It's tough, it's tough. But watch this, we can have reassurance why, who God is, what God does, and what God knows. God knows where you're at, and he'll remember you. What did he tell the thief on the cross? The thief asked one simple question, remember me, remember me. What did he say? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I'm not going to forget you. I know those that are mine. Be reassured of that. So here's a man hanging on a cross about to die. Not the most glorious of circumstances. And yet even he could have reassurance because he knew That God knew who he was. So tonight, as a church, I want to encourage you. In the midst of this world where mountains are melting, people are languishing, trouble is coming. It's easy to get unsettled. It's easy to get fearful and doubtful. In the midst of all of the change, God says, I want you to have a verse 7. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Can I ask you, are you trusting in him? Number one, are you trusting in him for salvation? If you're trusting in him for salvation, don't worry. He'll remember you. He'll remember you. Number two, if you are saved tonight, can I ask you the same question? Are you trusting him? Are you trusting him? If you're trusting him, you have no need to worry. Why? Because of who he is, what he can do, and what he knows. Maybe tonight we need to ask God to help us a little bit in the area of faith, that we might trust God a little more to have the reassurance we need. Let's stand with our heads bowed tonight. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I wonder tonight, how many of us in this building, how many of us watching on live stream say, you know, I need a little reassurance. Everything's going to be okay. Well, here's the reassurance. I, I can't give it to you of me but I can promise you who God is